This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Greetings, I am Dr. Jamar Tisby, and I am your host for this series, Those Meddling Kids. Now, for those of you who don't get the reference, it comes from Scooby-Doo. You know, they'd have this whole mystery, and then at the very end, they would unmask the 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 villain the culprit and the 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 person would say and i wouldn't have i would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling kids so in a similar sense we are unmasking the anti-critical race theory crusade in christian higher ed now this is going to be applicable to a broad audience but we just wanted to play off of that idea that the young people who are learning and in school right now are very socially conscious and problems of racism are top of mind for many of them. And they have the audacity and the unmitigated gall to believe that their institutions of higher ed should teach them about issues of race and racism and white supremacy and help them do something about it. So it's those meddling kids in particular we're speaking to, but anybody who's concerned about racial justice is going to learn, especially because of my guest today and the first guest in this series, Dr. Robert Chow Romero. I am very honored that you're here, sir. Welcome to Those Meddling Kids. The honor is is mine, Dr. Tisby. Thank you so much. Well, it, it, it has been such a pleasure. We're recently acquainted, but I think we we clicked really early on. And for those of you who, for those of us who don't have the same privilege of knowing you as well as I do, would you tell us a little bit about your educational background and um, your current position? Sure. Well, just like you, I'm a historian. But I, I never thought that this day would come where I would be on something called like a YouTube or a podcast <laughs> or whatever and talking about something called CRT it was not in the cards for me. When I was in law school at Berkeley, I knew Jesus, but I was a baby Christian. And and oddly enough, it was at Berkeley Law School that Jesus radically got a hold of my life, changed my whole life direction. I thought I, I thought I was off to, be, to become rich and famous and powerful and go to church on Sunday. But Jesus got a hold of my life and gave me this vision to become a professor and to use that platform to address issues of race and Christianity. That was 25 years ago. I'm getting pretty old now. Right? And after law school, um, I, I got a PhD in history at UCLA. I, I became ordained in the hood in, in, in the Pentecostal <laughs> hood of, of South LA. Right? Yeah. And I've been a professor at UCLA for the last 16 years. No, 17 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the, the time flies. That is an incredible background. And I just want to highlight for our viewers and listeners, Dr. Romero is trained as a lawyer. And so that's going to come into play as he talks about critical race theory. But also, my favorite discipline, history. You have a PhD in history, and now you teach at the University of California Los Angeles. So well qualified for this conversation. And this is really one of the most important conversations because it lays the groundwork for accurate information about critical race theory. So let's start right there. What is your 
shorthand, quick and dirty, almost memorizable definition of critical race theory. Sure. I would say CRT as a field, CRT as a diverse field of study, examines the role of race and racism in U.S. law and policy. So um, examines the role of race and racism in U.S. law and policy over the last 400 years. And I think those those that study um, CRT are also committed to taking that knowledge, taking that knowledge and remedying those racial injustices. So those two things, I would say. That is incredibly helpful. And that definition alone, I think, is is worth the price of admission and helps clear up a lot for for people. We're both historians, so we know that origins matter. How did critical race theory come to be this sort of um, organized theory? What are its history and origins? Sure. So CRT came about relatively recently, 1980s, maybe late 1970s. And you had a bunch of lawyers, lawyers of color and law professors who went to law school but never learned about race in U.S. history. So can you imagine you go to three years of law school and you, you never learned about the legal origins of, of slavery or Jim Crow segregation or housing segregation or anything like, like that. You were trained in sort of an ahistorical way to practice law in the current moment. And so you had folks like Derek Bell and Cheryl Harris and Richard Delgado, Ian Haney Lopez, who I studied with at Berkeley, who kind of and many others who developed this field. Now, what's interesting is that um, Derek Bell, who's kind of like the, the father of, of the late Derek Bell, who's like the father of CRT, he was raised in the AME church. And he was also a Presbyterian right, for the rest of his life. Right. Um, another like one of my mentors and colleagues at UCLA, Danny Solorsano, um, who is a founder of CRT in education. He's, he, he just published a whole article about the role of his faith and his work. So a lot of behind the scenes, you had faith, Christian faith, informing CRT. Now, from this legal um, origins, um, CRT spawned off into some different offshoots. So you had um, Latcrit. So specifically looking at the experience of Latinos and race in U.S. law and policy, Asian crit. Um, CRT and education and so forth, right? So what began as, as critical race theory, law and US you know, policy, you have these different, different offshoots. It's important to note that also um, CRT is very diverse. <laughs> as as my, my good friend Nathan Cartagena states, Wheaton professor, he says that CSC, I'm, not, I'm sorry, let me start that over again. Uh, Dr. Cartagena states that um, CRT um, is diverse, and it has these different offshoots that don't even necessarily agree with one another, right? <laughs> they complement each other. Um, it's diverse. And, and so CRT, again, um, is, is this diverse movement. One thing I'll say also, <laughs> uh, I'd like to draw a biblical parallel for people to kind of get a grasp of CRT. Okay. So as ancient historians tell us that the Egyptians as far as we know, never recorded the story of the Exodus. The Egyptians <laughs> never recorded the story of the Exodus, right? And so if it wasn't for Moses writing the Pentateuch, we wouldn't know about 
the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt and their deliverance. That, that's CRT, right? Or CRT is like um, Esther, right? And her people about to be slaughtered, but for the intervention of God through Esther's life, try to understand the story of Esther or the Exodus without considering ethnicity or what we might call, what we might call race. You can't do it, right? <laughs> or, the book, or the book of Jonah, right? And so CRT, in the same way that the Bible addresses those specific ethnic issues, there's so many examples we can discuss. CRT tries to get at what was the role of race, right, in U.S. history, law, and policy in shaping our society. That is so profound. I love the way you link it to some of these biblical stories. And it sounds like what you're saying with, with Egypt, we're not able to find any record of the Exodus, this, this huge historical event, because for the Egyptians, the Egyptians, the slaveholders, well, that's not a history they want to remember or record. Uh, whereas for the Hebrews who were freed, obviously that is, is a massive touch point in, in the entire trajectory of their faith. So that is a critical um, point that you're making there. So what does critical in critical race theory mean? What is, what is that getting at? It's getting at like, we want to, to look at, at, at the history of law and policy right, in the United States and how was that concept of race created, first of all, as a legal concept, right, in a way that gave privilege to some. So you want to be very critical. You want to analyze how did this concept of race, how was it, how was it invented as a legal concept and applied so that some people got lots of privilege and others didn't have that. So basically, let me give a couple, couple of examples. From 1790 to 1952, 1790 to 1952, a person could only become a naturalized U.S. citizen if they were legally defined as white. If they were legally defined as white. So you had all these court cases from 17, well, not really 1790, but um, all these court cases, right, where people went to all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court to tell the courts, Your Honor, I'm white, right? <laughs> You had people who were like Chinese descent, Japanese descent, Armenian, Italian, all, and all these folks saying, Your Honor, I'm white. Why? Because if they gained that legal recognition as white, then they could live where they wanted to live, send their kids to the schools where they wanted to send their, their kids to, live in the communities that had the best hospitals and best school systems, right? And so race was not just like a social identity label. Like today we say, oh, I'm white, right? Or, yeah, my, my, my grandparents came from Sweden. That's not what white means historically in the United States. Unfortunately, from the very beginning, it was a legal term used to give privilege to some and take it away from others. This is mind-blowing. Um, if I believe that, that, that these ideas of race and in particular whiteness and that to, to be a citizen, you had to be considered white. If I believe that, does that mean I hate America? <laughs> kind of a loaded no. question, but this is the implication yeah. that a lot of people are drawing. Sure. No, it's like, I, I'm American, right? Um, that's that's my, my, my first sort of national identity. As a side note, I'm Mexican on my dad's side and Chinese on my mother's side. My mother's side of the family fleed communist China because they were going to be killed because they were pastors, right? Um, but as in any family, we want our families to grow and to heal and to improve, right? What happens when, you know, 
for any of us, say we have, you know, our, most of our families are dysfunctional, probably, or many of them. <laughs> Maybe it's just mine. But what happens if one member of a family, one child, um, suffers injury or abuse at the hands of another child, or even worse, at the hands of a parent, and that child goes to, to the parents to say, I was harmed by my other sibling, or God forbid, you know, this one parent did this horrible thing to, to me, right? When that child raises those serious concerns, it's not because they hate their family. On the contrary, they want a restored relationship. And that can only come with honest sharing and truth and healing and discussion. And, and that's, that's what um, CRT is about for me. Um, I don't agree with everything, to be, to, be, you know, to, to be honest, about CRT. It's, CRT is not the same as my faith in Jesus or the Bible. But at its core, that's what CRT is about, you know, um, being honest so that we can heal and move on. I really appreciate that. It reminds me of Martin Luther King's quote, uh, there can be no deep disappointment where there's not deep love kind of a thing. It's We raise these issues uh, not out of ire or spite, but for healing and, and for the hope to be better. So I want to, that, that, that sort of transitions us into the next phase of our conversation where I want to do a couple of things. One, I'm going to read you a passage from a petition and just get your response. And then right after that, I'm just going to pepper you with some questions that uh, arise from what I think are some common misunderstandings of critical race theory. So all of this comes about from a petition called Save GCC from CRT, Save Grove City College from Critical Race Theory. And it was compiled by a group of quote unquote concerned parents and former students. And here's one of the paragraphs that they say explaining CRT. And I wanna see how you respond. They say, according to CRT, all of society is infected with intrinsic, intrinsic structural, uh, in parentheses, racism that favors whites and oppresses blacks and other minorities. Guilty white people, in parentheses, all whites, can never overcome their intrinsic racism. They can only practice personal negation. Only the quote unquote woke, those awakened to the systemic racism of white society and how it impacts victims on a scale of intersectionality can recognize the problem and permissibly speak about it. <laughs> so there's a lot there. Um, I'm happy to repeat anything that you want, but what is your response to that as an actual person trained in law school, trained in critical race theory? I'll give an example from a conversation I had this weekend with a friend of mine. So my, this friend of mine, he's a cognitive scientist, right? studies the brain, gets these NIH grants and stuff like that. And he said that recently, there was someone who wanted to apply for a grant with him. But the person was from a different discipline. And my friend said he read the grant and he said, I can't put my name on this grant application because it just sounds artificial. It, the language sounds, it doesn't, there's just something wrong with it, right? Because the person doesn't really understand the language of the given field. That's how, that's how that petition sounds to me, right? It sounds uh -huh. like... Um, some folks who, at, 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 the, at, the, at the core of their complaint, is a di probably a disagreement with the belief that 
structural racism, racism still exists in the United States. There's like a core identity. There's probably also a core identity that the United States does not suffer from racism, right, anymore. Maybe it did, and that the U.S. is a, is a Christian nation, right, God's anointed. And any type of, of critique that we might offer regarding race or, or ethnicity, it's, it feels like to them it's offensive, right, because it challenges their worldview, right? Now, let me respond more specifically now. Um, so there is a concept, a core concept in CRT that's, that says racism is ordinary. Racism is ordinary. It doesn't say all white people are racist. <laughs> it doesn't say that every aspect of society is dominated by racism. But what racism as ordinary means is that when we see racism, especially as people of color, when it's our, our, our experience, and I can tell you so many stories, <laughs> right? I can tell you stories of, of racial profiling, of, of not being allowed in honors classes and all kinds of stuff, right? But when we experience racism like that, it's not a surprise because racism is it's from the core of the founding of, of the country and it's still hanging on, right? Racism is ordinary. Now, this is very biblical because <laughs> the Bible says, as you know, Pastor Tisby, you know, <laughs> Sin is ordinary. Sin is ordinary. We have sinful human nature, right? And from the time of the Egyptians, right, to the Babylonians, to the Romans, to, I hate to say it, the United States of America, right, it's a human sinful tendency to put people into different ethnic categories, call it race, call it whatever you want, and to privilege our own group of people, right? So CRT is not saying that everybody's racist. It's not saying that every single, you know, white person is racist. But CRT is saying that because of that history, right, which again comports with these biblical concepts and even biblical accounts, right, that we need to do the hard work of screening out the legacy of that racism, right, so that we can grow as the body of Christ, heal, like Revelation 22 says, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, right? We got to heal. If we're going to be healing in Revelation 22, oh my gosh, how can we say that, that we need no healing now? Wow, that Pentecostal coming through, spirit-filled answers, man. <laughs> I really appreciate it. So one of the one of the big sticking points for the folks who are anti-CRT, so vehemently anti-CRT, is what you mentioned, the idea of intrinsic or, or structural racism. Can you give examples of structural or systemic racism? Because you know, a lot of people say, well, that's in the past and it's only individual and you can't point to any examples where racism is like written into laws. Think about how many preventable deaths there are in the United States or in the world because there are not, there's not access to certain vaccines, right? Just take that, it's a non-controversial example, right? There's preventable deaths. What's keeping people in different countries in the world from getting the vaccines so that they don't get the diseases that are preventable, right? That's a structural problem, right? Lack of access to vaccines, right? Um, in the United States, another example of is like preventable deaths, yeah, for that matter, right? Um, why did, why were Latinos and Latinas in the United States disproportionately affected by COVID, right? In the early years, right? 
And why did more people die, right? Because of the structural um, inequality of access to healthcare, right? That's one of the reasons why. And there's studies about that, right? Um, now, does that mean that someone sat in, in, you know, in a secret like Scooby-Doo laboratory and says, ha ha ha, I want Latinos to die? No, it doesn't, right? But it means that there's millions and millions of Latinas and Latinos that as a group, because of certain historical factors and structural reasons, don't have access to good healthcare. I'll give another example, like from one of our, our students, um, and ironically, her name is America. So America lived in, in South LA. She was a student of my wife, and my wife worked in um, church after school programs for many years, right, in South LA. And um, America was this, America was this bright student. And, um, but her, her, her mom was undocumented, right? And one day her mom went to the local hospital because she had appendicitis. She went to the local hospital and the local hospital was, was called, it was dubbed Killer King because people went in and they didn't come out, right? Her mom didn't have access to like, you know, the fancy hospitals on the west side of LA, but her mom went to, to where she had access. Her mom came back, they fixed the appendicitis and she still felt sick. Her mom went back to the hospital. They fixed it and they gave her a blood transfusion and her mom caught HIV from the blood transfusion. Her mom goes back to the hospital and says, I have HIV and the hospital, hospital denies responsibility. Okay. Then the mom tries to get a lawyer, but she has no money to hire a lawyer. So no, no, lawyer, were no lawyer would take her case. Comes time for her mom to adjust her status, her legal status. And because she has HIV, she's considered an undesirable immigrant. So her, so her mom had to write a letter basically saying, I'm sorry that I have HIV AIDS. Will you still let me into the country? Right? Will you still let me be, you know, adjust my status and be a legal permanent resident, right? Those are examples, right? Structural inequality in terms of access to healthcare, structural inequality in terms of lack of access to legal services, equitable legal services. And eventually, of course, America, over the weight of all this, she dropped out of school. So I think those are some real examples right, um, of, of how it is. I could tell you lots more stories. One thing that I've heard in response, because I wrote, I, I wrote a, a, an essay, like a blog, um, where I talked about some of, some of my experiences with racism in the United States. And, and, and one of the commenters said, I'm sorry, but I don't believe those stories. <laughs> it's like, wow. dude, these stories, like I experienced them. So I thought to myself, what's causing this person to say, I don't believe those stories? Like, I experienced them in my own flesh and blood, right? And I think that a lot of people oppose CRT or oppose the notion that there is structural or systemic injustice because, not, be, not because like they've actually investigated, done the research, but because it clashes with a pre-existing worldview or pre-existing assumption about the United States. Ooh, uh, heartrending examples yeah. that you're giving. Um, and it just strikes me at the very least, whatever you think about critical race theory, any sort of level of human empathy would at least let yourself give these stories, give these uh, examples a hearing and and put a, a, a weight, a burden on you to to want to see that change. So. You know, I don't know yeah. where the people listening are in terms of what they think about this 
theory itself, but my goodness, just understanding that there's human suffering that we can alleviate that in and of itself should be enough to, to spur us to action. Let me keep um, bringing up some of these questions and misunderstandings or deliberate misinformation that I keep hearing. Is critical race theory being taught in K through 12 schools? Um, again, I think it's different all across the country. Um, as far as I know, <laughs> there's very few school districts that have said, we will teach CRT in our schools. Um, so, and I think that speaks to the point that CRT has been mislabeled, right? It's, it's used typically to refer to any type of <laughs> book or any type of analysis that talks about race. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what CRT is, right? Um, and it's used by that kind of on the folks that oppose CRT. But to, but to be fair, it's even used in these broad ways, even by people who are academics um, who kind of just kind of use it to characterize any kind of racial discourse. And so I think that that, that, that broad brushing, it really d does a disservice. So CRT, as this official field of study with these certain concepts and these certain genealogy of history and ideas, it's taught in very few public schools. Next question, is CRT racist or a form of reverse racism? Again, I go, on, I go back to the example of the family. If I bring up to a family member that they've harmed me in a certain way, does it mean that I hate my family member? No, right? Again, it's like, okay, let me put it this way. Let me use a biblical example. Was Moses being reverse racist when he went up to Pharaoh and said, let my people go? You've enslaved huh. me, right? Let's think about that for a while. Very good. Does CRT teach that all white people, because of their skin color, are racist? No, it doesn't. No, it teaches that racism is ordinary. Racism, because of its history in the U.S., like it's common. But what, what CRT seeks to promote is the idea that all of our voices matter. This is called the voice of color thesis. All of our voices matter. Right? Um, and so historically, <laughs> not all of our voices were, were said to matter, right? In the field of, of, of whether it's faith or whether it's education or politics. It was said, right, um, officially that all of our voices do not matter, right? And CRT says, um, all of our voices matter because we're all made in the image of God, right? Some people might even explicitly explicitly use that language, right? Now, religion aside, Christianity aside, CRT says that we live in a democracy where all of our voices should matter. It's not that that, that voices of color matter more, but it's it's that that they matter. The voice of color thesis, and and this has a, a parallel with um, there's a couple of biblical concepts here. Right? My favorite biblical passage. My favorite passage. It's Revelation 21, verse 26. Revelation 21, verse 26. And in that passage, John is describing the new Jerusalem. Jesus comes back, makes all things new, right? What are some images that we can examine to figure out what's that going to look like? And in verse 26, John says that when that happens, the glory and honor of every different ethnic group of, of every different ethnic group of the world will be brought into the new Jerusalem forever. The doxa, the cultural treasure and wealth of every different ethnic group is of eternal value to God, right? 
And historically, and it just and I would say, I would ask that people bear with me for a minute as I carry out the reasoning. Historically, in the United States, it was taught that only one group of people, legally defined as white, had treasure, and everybody else were rapists and criminals or naturally just good with their hands. Right? That was, that was like explicit, right? And to this day, <laughs> again, I, it's that's still said explicitly and implicitly, right? That only a certain group of people have cultural treasure and wealth. Now, through that given God-given cultural treasure and wealth, we have different lenses to see the world, right? to see the problems in the United States in 2022, right? To read Scripture, the Holy Word of God, the Sacred Word of God, and to say, "Hey." This particular passage really has a lot to say about this particular issue that we're facing in the church today, right? Um, and that's why we have the body of Christ. Right? That's why Paul says we need each other. We belong to each other because we each have a different God-given lens and perspective that, that is shaped in part by our God-given glory and honor, our doxa, right? And so CRT, to tie it back to CRT, CRT is kind of like making the argument that we would say as followers of Jesus about the body of Christ, right? You know, the hand's not worth more than the finger or the head's not worth more than the ear, right? But we all need each other, right? And so CRT, to let me take it back out of the, 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 the religious um, dimension, just says that in a diverse pluralistic democracy, we need everybody's voices. So it's not that white people's voices are less people of color's voices are more, it's like, give us a chance. Like we all need to have our voices heard. That is a tremendously helpful answer. Just a couple quick more. Um, does critical race theory unfairly divide people into groups of oppressed and oppressor? Is it, I don't think it unfairly divides. I think people, we all like to make binaries like, CRT does not say every white person is an oppressor and every person of color is an oppressed. It does not say that, right? But the Bible talks about people being oppressed and, you know, 2,000 verses of scripture, more than 2,000 verses of scripture talks about vulnerable groups in society, right? Um, that bear the brunt of sin more, Matthew 25, right? Um, and not to mention the whole Exodus narrative, right? In that narrative, the Exodus narrative, there were those who were enslaved and those who were doing the enslaving, right? Insofar as the Exodus narrative generally says that, well, you, the Israelites were in, in, in generally oppressed. I'm sure not every Israelite was oppressed, right? But there was that, right? right. Um, the same way, that's what CRT says, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, insofar as you had that in, 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 in the Exodus narrative, in the book of Esther, in the book of Revelation, for that matter, right? You have that those, you know, so, some of those same um, observations applied to U.S. society and history. And last one, is critical race theory incompatible with Christianity? Meaning, can Christians derive any value from it? Or uh, is everything self-contained in the Bible and we don't need theories like critical race theory? And in fact, they might do some actual harm uh, in, in terms of what we believe about the faith. Sure. I think that this is like an ancient debate in the church, right? <laughs> it's as old as Tertullian saying, oh, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And then he goes ahead and still, you know, Athens informs a lot of his thinking. It's as old as, as Augustine saying, Augustine, you know, saying, you know, 
speaking, having a more favorable view, right? But it's also as old as Paul <laughs> quoting Greek poets and philosophers, right? In the book of First Corinthians, right? Or the book of Acts, right? It's, it's as old as Paul saying in his famous speech to the Areopagus, um, as some of your own poets have said, right? <laughs> and in the same way, that's the way that I think of CRT. To be honest, I don't agree with everything of CRT. <laughs> and I think that there is a danger of, of like some people like just equating Christianity with CRT or a political party platform. I see that too. That's a danger. I'm not saying that. I don't agree with that, right? But I think I would say CRT is helpful, right? How is it helpful? Well, I've found that it's helpful as a bridge for evangelism, like Paul used it. I used the CRT framework of community cultural wealth to write my book, The Brown Church. And I drew the biblical parallels to Revelation 21, 26 that we just talked about. And guess what? <laughs> thousands of people, thousands are getting to hear the gospel who would never enter the door of a church now because they think the church is so crazy, right? Another example, um, apart from evangelism, right? Just as a scholar of at UCLA, um, and to make maybe be as clear as possible to anybody from UCLA listening, I'm not trying to evangelize my students in the classroom, all right? Okay, no, that being said, <laughs> I respect the, the separation of church and state. But in my academic role, I want to promote a healthy conversation about the role of religion and Christianity in the field. Because the fact of the matter is, is that Christianity has been um, excluded from, from fields of study at the university. And guess what? <laughs> I use CRT as a bridge. And just like a couple of months ago, a whole essay collection came out that I, that I had the privilege of, of co-editing, where we invited Chicano studies scholars from across the country to talk about the role of Christianity in Chicano studies. And what could that look like in the flagship journal of the field? The wow. flagship journal of the field. So, um, yes, CRT is helpful in the, you know, in, in promoting conversation and so forth and, and, and bridging and evangelism in so many ways, right? And so um, to, some who, to some who might say, oh, CRT is just completely wrong. Thousands of people are getting a chance to hear the gospel. Yeah. That is, that is not a take on CRT that most people have heard. Uh, I think you do a tremendous job uh, inhabiting different worlds, uh, certainly in your own embodied life, but also as a scholar, as a person of faith. And you've brought both of those to bear. And what a tremendous gift. I can absolutely imagine that some of our viewers and listeners would want to learn more from you. So what are you working on now and how can people stay in, in touch with you? Thank you so much. Yeah. By the grace of God, um, here am I. Um, wrote a book called Brown Church, which looks at the history of Latina, Latino Christian social justice, which a lot of people don't realize there's a 500 year history. Uh, Brown Church, you can, you can check that out. Working on a book with my good friend, Jeff Leo, theologian, on a book on CRT and Christianity. That'll be out right. next spring. Looking forward to that. I'm on you know, Robert Chow Romero. I'm on all the usual places. If you're an old person like me, you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, all those, all those usual places. 
thank you so much for the for the gift of your wisdom, your knowledge, your expertise, and your passion for students and higher education and faith and your knowledge about this really, really critical topic. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.